Hey, hey, and welcome to Null Pointers. We are your hosts, Mark, Stephen, and Gerald. And today we'll be talking about coding conventions. But before we dive into our topic, I've seen a tweet on Twitter that there is a new Visual Studio for Mac, the Visual Studio for Mac 2022, which is right now in private preview. It's private preview, so there's not much public knowledge going about, but it should be a full native Visual Studio on the Mac. Well, Yay. if only you knew someone who could tell you more about it. If that only. Would be awesome. If yeah, only. So, yeah, it's. I don't think it's a secret that I might have already have access um, for a little longer time than the public the private preview is out um, and you know you say full native which is uh, i think at some point they shared that they're going to uh, either rewrite or at least rewrite big parts of the application right uh, and what they're going to make more native is use kind of like more the mac os native parts so it, the ui is going to look more like it belongs in mac os because i think before they were doing like uh gdk or something like that which is a gui framework i think yeah 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 right so that's more i think from um, um origin a, a linux framework or something like that so but yeah now they're going to more towards like the mac os stuff which is really cool um i got to play with it so not everything was supported yet but uh maybe it does now for this private preview by the way this this was very early on um but uh yeah it, it feels much snappier and uh it looks i can't really say what changed in the looks but it looks better uh, which is kind of a weird experience if you can't really tell why. Um, but yeah, I think overall, good things are coming. Um, they didn't really mention the M1 support yet, where they did do that before, that it's coming. So I kind of have the feeling that that might be pushed back a little, but uh, I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, uh, public preview, private preview. Ah, oh, I keep saying public preview. Private preview. You can sign up right now. We'll probably put the link down in the show notes um, so you can... Find out yourself, put yourself on the list, and hopefully you'll get in soon. Yeah, I know I'm really excited for this new Mac preview. For one, it's new bits. I'm always excited when new bits come about. And the the move to going full native, which was at first I thought like, well, isn't it already native? And and it is. I mean, it's a native application. There's no hybrid web thing going on. But uh, the going away from GTK, I guess, is quite some step because the original Visual Studio for Mac was a port from the Xamarin Studio, which was, again, migrated from MonoDevelop. So MonoDevelop was the IDE back then, back in the day, and MonoDevelop ran on Linux, uh, Mac, and Windows. So GTK is like a cross-platform UI thingy, but since it's cross-platform, it does not always adhere to these uh, UI design standards that are given on the platform. And I've seen a couple of uh, screenshots, I think, that which were a bit afloat with this preview thing. And yeah, it looks native to me. I mean, it seems to have the close buttons at the top left, but to be fair, Visual Studio for Mac already does this today in the public version. But uh, I, I hope I will be able to play around very soon with it and looking forward to it. I think the release timeline is sometime this year. I'm looking at it now. Oh, it's beautiful. It's gore. I wish you could see this. <laughs> Too bad that it's just a podcast. I mean, yeah, it's, it's such a shame that we keep social distance yeah. in separate booths. I'm crying. I'm crying. So yeah, about the timeline, this is something, honestly, I don't know. 
Um, but I think I was talking, or did we mention that on this podcast? I don't know. I'm talking too much on different things. Um, <laughs> but like um, someone asked, like, is it safe to assume? I think it was on the Maui stream I did the other day with uh, uh, Telerik. We should link that as well. And they asked, like, is it safe to assume that Visual Studio for Mac 2022 is going to be released by the time .NET Maui comes? Because right now the support is not in Visual Studio 2019, um, but it will be in 2022, I kind of assume. Um, so is it then safe to assume that that tool will be ready for us to be able to use .NET Maui on macOS? Um, again, honestly, I don't know, but you know that seems like a fair assumption. Um, so as far as releasing goes, that might make sense, but we'll see. Definitely, I think right now nothing is yet written down for final. And uh, just a wild guess from my end, since it's called Preview VS2 2022, I mean, it should be soonish. I guess. At I hope. Somewhere in 2022, at yeah. the latest, at the I latest. would say. Yeah, yeah, I just signed up while you guys were babbling on and on and on about this <laughs> what? I just signed up for it. Give me that thing. Yeah, see? Well, yeah, but babbling on, Stephen, why, why should we bother Mark. about these things called coding, coding conventions? Is, is this a good segue? I, I still You're not even going to try? I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to hit out that question. So, Stephen, why coding conventions? Why, why, why should I bother with one other thing? I mean, got to get a private preview now. Coding now, conventions. Back to coding conventions. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, the the biggest part about coding conventions is just being able to easily like go through all the different parts of your project and know that they're all set up in a similar fashion, and also know that your teammates are hopefully adhering to these standards and well, also are producing similar code. And that would at least make the fact that you're working on a project together a lot easier. And that's that's my main my main takeaway from coding conventions. Um, and because of that, you're you have like this this common theme in your code where basically everyone is, is doing the same thing. And that is well, it's hard to get it in, I would typically say i mean from from my own experience companies write page long documents going on and on and on about coding conventions and for some reason my other experience is that everywhere i go there are sort of coding conventions but there are also not and every year we're trying to make coding conventions and they never really get made or they get made in a document that's stored somewhere and all the new people aren't onboarded onto them and I'd, I feel like up until recently, and we're probably going to touch upon editor config and automation and that kind of stuff, but up until that kind of stuff came out, it never really felt like the companies I've worked for had it all nailed to a T. But that's that's my personal experience. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's like the, the thing that you mentioned immediately, like the dot, dot editor config, is it? I think, yeah. Uh, that is a great tool for this, right? I mean, um, you can also go too far. I'll get to that in a little bit. But um, yeah, so that is kind of like for the people who don't know what that is. Is it? It's not YAML, right? No, it's not YAML. It's, uh, no, it's I don't something, know. Something. It's some, yeah, some, some other weird thing, right? Uh, where you define like what your um, um, coding standards are, how things should look like, really up to the point where you say like, hey, a a 
curly bracket should be on its own line, uh, really down to all the details that you want to have in there. Uh, so you can put that all in an editor config file. But, you know, what I then see happening is that a lot of people find that, you know, um, um, hard to do or hard to maintain. So they don't set it up or they set up only a piece of it or they don't really maintain the thing. Uh, but, you know, it's it's a cool thing. I think it's supported now at least by like Visual Studio, uh, Visual Studio Code, uh, where it will give you at least all these hints with like, okay, you might want to you can do this, change a little bit of that. Um, and that is really cool. Um, but I already mentioned you can also take it too far uh, because what is happening right now is that in Visual Studio uh, for the code base that I'm working on, it's all turned on and it's all turned on as errors. Um, also for comments. So if I just have this little piece of code and I want to put it in a comment, I do, what is it? Control KC puts it in a comment and then it goes like, okay, but a comment should have a space at the beginning. Ah. <laughs> uh, so to actually make my code build, I have to put a space before the line that I just put in a comment, which is just another line of code that I don't want to use right now. Um, and then it goes complaining that a comment should be followed by a blank line or not a blank line or all these kinds of weird things. And it's just ah, um, very annoying, basically. Um, but anyway, so you can also take it kind of too far. Uh, but I think it's still very, very helpful if you, you know, put that in there uh, and get people to use it. Uh, and while I'm talking anyway, it's what I like doing. There's another tool that comes to mind while I'm talking about this. I have been working on the Xamarin Community Toolkit, where I thought somewhere early on, like, hey, this is cool, and we want to have that code conventions, and we want to have it all the same. Um, but, you know, it's also something that you don't want to really bother uh, people with. I've, we find it important. We want it all to be the same. But it's also something that we can automate, right? So based off that same editor config, you also have a .NET global tool, which is called .NET format, um, which will take that editor config. I think not all the options are supported, but it will take a lot of the basic options and format all the documents that you put in there um, according to that editor config. So that's really cool. You don't have to think about it. It will just format all the things for you. You don't have to think about it and all your code will look the same. So that is great. Um, so in this kind of GitHub scenario, it's kind of interesting. Um, still, I find that I don't really trust the tool. Um, so I have set it up this way that it will um, put all the changes that it wants to do in a branch first and then make a pull request. That all goes automatically. It will tag me and I can do a latest scroll uh, to see if it all works. I mean, you could just have it scan, make the changes, commit to it directly, of course, if you really trust it. Uh, but this way, you know, I can also see if we don't have any weird rules in the editor config that we might need to change. I mean, that could be a thing as well. Uh, but yeah, so in the, the automation area of all of this, um, there is a lot of um, stuff that you can do to make this work. And with that, we have finished this episode. We've answered all the questions. Okay. Sorry, I'll stop talking. <laughs> yeah, so I, I just want to circle back to the beginning, like why, why even bother about coding conventions? Because I asked Stephen, but I remember working on more than one team where this coding convention stuff was not really brought up to discussion. And so whenever you had a, a pull request and someone reviewed it, it was like whoever was in the lead reviewer would give you different comments on how you should start your code. So it could very well be that at one week you were requested to format your code in a certain way. And the next week you would then format it again in a different way. It's just go like, 
people, can we not make up our minds how we want to format this stuff? Because it, it costs time and time is usually money. So I think that's that's for me like why you probably want to do it out of a management perspective and out of a pure people perspective. It's just like super frustrating. I mean, if if one guy tells you, oh no, you shouldn't format your ifs like this, you should always put them in braces. And the other person says, no, it's okay to have the first line not in a brace. And then again, the other person says, well, it's okay to have it if it's all on the same line. But as soon as the, yeah. So there, there are many different ways how this argument can go out. This is interesting, Mark. Is are we going to go to a future where your code conventions are just a local thing? That would be awesome, right? I mean, you it's mean- you're never going to have everyone like the same thing. So you always there's always there's at least one person that has to do this concession, right? Like, okay, I would like to have. I remember. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's not listening, but I remember <laughs> on a previous team uh, that there was one member who would like to have the opening curly brace on the same line, even though it was not JavaScript. It was C-sharp. Um, and I kind of got his point, but, you know, typical C-sharp developers don't like that. So, you know, he was pretty unhappy. He was frustrated all day. Maybe that was his point of frustration. No, I don't know. He's he's very nice. Or she. <clears throat> but should this be a local thing where it just, it saves maybe to, to kind of one way where it's unified for everyone, but it will show up on your local IDE the way that you want. Wouldn't that be a cool thing? That could be that could be the solution. I just know I'm I'm personally too much of a of a sheeple person. I'll just adopt my style in the project. Just for the greater good, I'll just Yes, boss. Adopt. I will do that, boss. Yes. <laughs> and and secretly cringe about right, how right, people right. can write code like this. Yeah, this this is my mm-hmm. approach to it. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that that could be actually quite nice. I mean, we already do it. When we check in code into Git, I mean, we work on Macs, some of some work on Windows. So when we check into GitHub, the line endings they will always be different, and Git just changes the line endings, and uh, it will then always that the war about taking over entire files when you just make one little change is settled. So there's always. Yeah. A nice thing to do there. And you mentioned a few ways how you can do it. The editor config, I think that is a really nice way how you can do it. The editor config is actually not just restricted to .NET and C Sharp. I think it's actually a global spec. And some editors, they build then on top of that. So if you are in Visual Studio, um, you can have some editor configs that will only work then in Visual Studio. And I know that even uh, if you use Rider, you can have some Rider-specific editor configs put in there. Uh, what I really like about that is, uh, compared to the document style that I've also done in different teams, is you got a document, it can be a Word document, it can be a Markdown document, whatever, but the document will not live in your ID. And what that means is, whenever someone uh, is checking your code, he always will have to know the coding guidelines and he will have to adhere to it. And that means during coding reviews, uh, you then need that document to make sure that you're still in line with that. And if your coding guidelines grow, which they tend to do, they usually start out all nice and sweet and then they eat after midnight and then all hell breaks loose. Um, It's nice when these things get automated. I think editor config is a really nice thing to do and you can also get started off quite slim. Uh, there, there are even some, you could like choose a open source project. One has already been mentioned, the Zarin Community Toolkit. You can peek in there. You can have a look. Hey, does this style apply to me? And if something really gets on your nerves because it hints you that you should format it differently, you can Google how you can change that and then you can make a tiny adjustment. And look there, you're already on the way to be an 
expert editor config specialist. Oh my god! I just I have one editor config and I just copy paste that everywhere. I just reuse it <laughs> and that's the one. But I mean that is kind of how it goes, right? I mean it's it's like you're a git ignore, right? It's just you you have that thing. At some point, it's done. You've added all the stuff that you want in there, and then you just copy and paste it. Everywhere. But you know, for I think a company environment, it might be a little bit different, where um, some things might change or some new people might join. And Gerald, you mentioned it before. The thing is, you can go overboard. Uh, so in editor config, what you can do is you can say, "Hey, I I want to have my code formatted in a certain way, and if there is a violation to this rule, I will a I, the editor config will either say nothing." So that means if you select the code and say, hey, formats, the formats will then be applied. You can say, hey, hint. So that's like the softest way. You can have a warning put out and you can even go up to error. So that means if that is in violation, it will be like a compilation error as if you would have forgotten a semicolon and you will not be able to compile your code. And what's your thoughts on this, Stephen? Should you, when should you choose which level? For me, at least in, in the config I just mentioned, most of it is warnings. Um, it, it would be have to be very severe if it were errors, to me at least. Um, I feel like if if it actually is set up to be an error all the time, I would probably lose my mind. Yep. But yeah, I, I have most of them set up as warnings, actually. And I think that you still, if, if you look on the on the right side, at least in Visual Studio for Mac, where your scroll bar is, um, it also has this this file outline color thingy. Like there's a few colors, like red for errors on those lines, and it, it shows up in there as well. And I think you even get this this command enter alt enter. What is it? This this quick fix mechanic um, where it can fix it into the the standard you set up or the style you set up. So I typically just have warnings and go through the files if if some of these pop up. I'm thinking the same base. I think warnings are heavy enough on the eyes. Uh, going to errors, I think, is always a bit extreme. Uh, I've seen it applied in some parts of the project where you would have like some some bits that you just really do not like. Uh, so if you if, if there's like some some coding standards that you really want to enforce, uh, that you then can say, hey, um, yeah, don't 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 do this. Uh, don't don't. Uh, you ever implement it this way because this is just a way, a very error-prone way to to implement this, and then you can then have a an error appear, yeah, so that the user or that the developer then has to actually change it. And there are the so editor config I think is quite new. I don't know when it popped up, but it's more recent memory. There have been automatic checks since quite some time ago, and two famous ones pop into mind from mine. It's uh, SonarCube and StyleCop. I think uh, StyleCop is something similar than editor config, might be able to do more. Uh, but what I've been using in some of my projects recently is SonarCube. And what SonarCube does, it, it scans your entire code, and it will then also make sure that the editor config is applied. So if you uh, like a mini code review that you get there, and it can also give you security vulnerabilities and duplication of lines of code and test coverage and all these nice little handy things it will then uh, put out whenever you build your code. And what I really like about SonarCube is you can put it into your continuous integration pipeline. 
So that means whenever you check something in and you make a pull request, you will automatically get a, uh, a review from SonarCube uh, looking that you ad adhere to certain standards. Maybe you want to have a certain percentage of test coverage in your code base, and you can then have these checks applied to your pull request and ensure that these things are adhered to. And if there is like a code smell or something like that, you will then get a comment in the PR that says, dear developer, please fix. This is not what we want. Yeah, I've, I've looked at the Sonar Cube. I've actually implemented it as well in a few projects. I, I felt like it, it did a lot of nice stuff, but it also, when just taking the out-of-the-box configuration, it, uh, it blows up typically. Um, <laughs> I think you need to kind of tweak what it flags as uh, as er erroneous or however you call it. It's it, it's definitely a useful tool, and and it also for me at least it at the time it, it pooped out this very nice looking well report I think it is with graphs and and all kinds of nice stuff telling you where your code is not as good as you want it to be. They are some very handy charts in there, and the other thing that I just want to say maybe twice is I really love the fact that it does it automatically and. There is, again, some tinkering involved that you have to do to configure it properly. But uh, if you have invested the time, it's like you get an automatic pull request review that focuses more on the technical itty-gritty bits, like, hey, did you um, do not have an exception handler just with an empty, with no, no code in it? You know, don't just uh, try, catch, exception, do nothing. Don't, don't do that. Please at least log, make, make a log of that thing and just not continue on. And you can then get these uh, things quite nicely. It takes some time, uh, but what it then allows you to do is when you make pull, re pull requests or you make a review of a PR, you can then focus more on the business aspects, which a, a machine, at least today, cannot yet fully grasp. So because they don't know the specifications, they don't know if that's if the, the requests that are being done, if they're in the right order or if the code that is been written is even doing the right thing because SonarCube will happily sign off on nicely written code that does the wrong thing with your database. <laughs> what? That's where GitHub Copilot comes in again. Oh yeah, totally um, forgot. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so combine the two and it's it's amazing. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Okay, so but we've established that I, I already mentioned that uh, the the errors for all the things might not be great. Um, so warnings, you know, is, is pretty much okay. But then again, if it's warnings, like again, if we go back to the Xamarin Community Toolkit, I think we still have 10,000 plus warnings that we need to solve. Um, and are we actually going to get to it? I don't know. I've I've tried my best for some time to get the number down, but well, anyway. Okay, so errors versus warnings, but what are the other things? What are the kind of things that we kind of want to do with this? Like I said, um, for some code that I'm working on now um, for Microsoft, it even goes down to uh, the comments that have to be formatted nicely. There has to be, and that one I kind of understand. We need to have this file header with uh, some copyright information, which is probably some legal thing, um, but also, you know, on all the public members, you need to have like um, comment for um, what it does because it's a public API. So you want to have that description in there. Is that kind of the level that you want to have? Or is it, I think the the conversation that sparked this whole episode basically is that, I don't know if it was actually on air or in our back channel uh, where we said like, hey, we like to have uh, the var keyword in C-sharp to not have to specify the type that you're actually declaring. So var, my variable is new, 
class. Um, and now you have this kind of turned around variant of that as well, where you say um, class, uh, my variable is new. And then because it you already said what the, the type of the class is going to be, uh, that new doesn't have to reiterate what the class is. It will just know that it has to create a new one of that, which I kind of actually like myself because now all the type names are in the front as opposed to uh, where it all says var, 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 and all the type names are in the back, basically. Uh, but this is very much one of those things that we mentioned earlier, like it's just a matter of taste, where the one says, I like var, the other one says, I like new. Um, so what is the kind of types of things, where, how far do you want to go with what you want to specify in these rules? What are kind of the things that you want to see unified? I'll take the cheap answer here and just say it depends but truly i think it really depends on, on what your goals are i mean some people they do not mind if there are like different styles how stuff is done and in other projects you might have uh, regulations that that require a certain standard of how you do things like how you, maybe it will even then come down to comments like if you don't do the comments a certain way this will mean that we have some tooling in the back that will then generate certain documentations or it will pick out certain pieces out of your code to to provide some documents that we will then use later on. And if you don't adhere to that standard during development time, these tools, they will not be able to perform their job. And that's where tools then might be tuned to a level where you then say, well, if you, if you insert a comment and it's not formatted the way we require it, we'll just make an error because the tool later on will have an error when it processes it. So that's when we'll level that up. Uh, but I don't think this uh, strictness has to be applied everywhere. I'm usually on the uh, lax side of things. So I like to have like a certain style, how stuff is done. Like I, the braces that uh, you brought up at the beginning, like having it the, on the same line as the method or below. I'm clearly a fan of below. Just, just do it please the same way because it just will make it easier for me to follow along in your code. And I don't want to know how many people were involved in a project when it was initially developed because I can see, hey, there are five different programming styles. And obviously, uh, this part was written by me, and that part over there was written by colleague A, and that one was written by colleague B, because we can just all see that we had all our own styles, and we just pulled it through whichever class we opened up. And if we had a shared class, it would change style, whoever just checked it in the latest. And I think those are energies I would like to invest into different problem-solving tasks. How about you, Stephen? Yeah, I, f I fully agree. Um, I think this this whole editor config thing is definitely in the area of let's set that up and actually spend time on what matters most. And this is like like I said in the beginning, a lot of companies where I worked had it, didn't have it, kinda had it. Like it took a lot of time, constantly nagging in like you said PRs or just being busy with that kind of stuff. They're, it should all just be standardized and automated as much as possible. And then you can actually get on with, with what matters because I don't think anyone really enjoys this kind of stuff. I mean, I don't for saying for the nth time on a PR, please don't use an underscore before this variable or something like that. <laughs> this, I, no, just no. Um, so definitely I, I agree with you on that, that it's, I, I'm also in in the not so strict camp like you mentioned but yeah it it's definitely 
worth investing a bit of time in this to save a lot of time later on. Yeah, and I think that's where we come back to go full circle with all the automation stuff and tools, right? If you go back to before the dot editor config times, you would have this document or maybe this markdown file, which you would keep somewhere close to the code, but no one's ever going to really look at it or um, learn it by heart or, you know, adhere to it. Um, so I think like the editor config, maybe, or the, the, the you, you mentioned it, Mark, the sonar cubes or the style copy for that. Um, those tools you really need to, to have that in place if you uh, want to do it right. But then the other thing, you know, you the people still need to kind of then see uh, the use of it and actually change the things that they need to do uh, unless you're making it all errors, but then you're going to frustrate users. And if there's one thing I learned, users will always find a way. So even if you make it errors, then it will still, they, they will find the way, they will find the way that's easiest to them um, and they will still find a way around all the systems that you have in place. So, you know, besides having that in place, like, okay, with the editor config, it's kind of built in now. Um, I'm not sure if you can disable it, but like with the style cop, wasn't that also a separate plugin? Um, so it's like, if you don't have the plugin, you know, no worries. So they will just uninstall or disable the plugin. They will find a way, trust me. So, you know, then suddenly you have one person at least that's not um, using your code style and um, then basically the whole system is useless. So yeah, it's really much a thing that you want to get the tooling right. You want to make it just on the balance of having, making it useful, uh, but not too frustrating to actually go through all the hoops to make the styling unified for um, everyone and uh, everywhere. So I think that's kind of where you need to be, but uh, it's it's a hard problem. And then on the other hand, yeah, maybe you should just have that check on kind of like the server side that does it um, every night that, uh, to pick up those styling issues, um, merge them automatically because, you know, people just don't want to be bothered with it. Uh, maybe actually that was a good one by Steven. Maybe you should figure out a bot and leave all the comments and reviews in that PR so you don't have to be a person that constantly points out all these things. You will just have a bot that will do things for you. But yeah, that's kind of like what I see in all of this. I think that's an excellent point that you brought out there, Gerald, with the don't make it too cumbersome for people. I think when you start out with these tools, you always think, oh, now I have the ultimate solution to solve all the coding issues that we do. Uh, we'll have no more bugs. I'll just have to put one more rule in and then that will also be solved. And it just, at a certain point, you'll just have so many warnings in your code base because you'll just say, uh, you, you will have these errors first and then the project manager will then come, well, why are we shipping? And you say, well, do you know this stupid tool that, are, that we are using? It always tells me that I have to do it differently, but I know it works like this. And then the PM will then go to the quality guys and say, well, just... Uh, make them warning. So we we have to ship this today and we'll do it later on. And then you'll suddenly have uh, 10,000 warnings in your code base. And you just, if, if you have so many warnings, I mean, what is a warning or two more? I mean, does that really still count? It's just, uh, yeah. And so I think it's important that like with, like with tests, uh, these tools, they should be helping you write better code and more maintainable code. And that's, I think, the, the basic idea. And that's, it also looks a bit the same because that makes it, again, more maintainable. And whenever you overboard on these things, um, it, it usually is not a good idea. 
And the other thing that you mentioned, Gerald, is uh, installing these plugins locally. I think they can be quite nice. Uh, I'm currently working on Mac, and there's no plugin for Sonocube that I can install for Visual Studio for Mac or for Rider. So I usually, when I open up the PR, uh, I'll then get feedback from Sonocube where I missed out on a few things, and then I can fix them. Uh, but if I really, I, I sometimes like to have these feedback cycles locally. So when I'm developing code, I get automatically the feedback. And that's, I think, a really nice thing where editor config comes in because I have editor config on all my devices in all my favorite IDEs. And I'll have the feedback instantaneously. Hey, um, this is not how you should write this piece of code. Please uh, press uh, control dots or alt enter and reformat that section so it will adhere to the standards. And yeah, I. I think that is also something that is quite important. And with that, we wrap up our episode on coding conventions. We have been your hosts, Mark Alibone, Stephen Davison, and Jaroslav. Let us know, what are your experience with using coding conventions, editor config, sonar cubes, or the StarCops, or the tool that we might have missed that will solve even more of our pro daily problems? At nullpointers.io, on Twitter, our DMs are open, Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Stay safe and until next week on Not Pointers. Mm -hmm.